Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times, I'm Sean McKenna. We're taking a week off, but Deep Dive producer Dave Cortez and I thought it might be nice to rerun an interview we did with consultant Rochelle Kopp from back in April on what it's like working in Japan. Rochelle works with Japanese businesses here to advise them on Western work culture, and she works with Western companies to advise them on Japanese work culture. She's written extensively for the Japan Times on issues that non-Japanese employees face in Japanese workplaces, and if you're working for such a company or you think you might work for or with such a company in the future, those articles feature some really interesting tidbits on topics like how to write a resume for a Japanese company, how to ask for a raise, and what it's like to work at the senior level as a woman in Japan. In our interview, she speaks specifically on an article about agents of change, which is when Japanese companies hire non-Japanese people to try and change their workplace culture. Does that little trick work? Well, we'll find out in the interview. And listening back to this interview, it seems I might have had a bit of a cold, so apologies for my nasally voice. Um, we'll be back next week, and I'll make sure to take my contact C. Rochelle Kopp is the managing principal at Japan Intercultural Consulting and works with Japanese companies that start operations overseas and overseas firms that expand into Japan. At the start of 2019, however, she began writing regularly for the Japan Times with advice and explanations on how to deal with Japanese corporate culture as a non-Japanese employee. Rochelle, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Michelle, I've learned a lot from your contributions to the Japan Times about navigating this country's work culture. The pandemic saw you switch your focus to other subjects, as many workers were prevented from coming into Japan. But you're back in the pages this week with an article titled Help Wanted, the Sleeper Agent of Change, which talks about the recent big tech layoffs overseas and how Japan may try to benefit from them. What made you want to write about this? Well, speaking to the Financial Times, Hitachi Chief Executive Keith Kojima said that this could be a quote-unquote big opportunity for Japan to snatch up laid-off workers who may want to try living and working in Japan or working for a Japanese company. Hmm. And, you know, Japan is a country that obviously lots of people want to visit here, but also a lot of people are interested in living here. Um, my base in the U.S. is Silicon Valley, and a lot of people there are very enamored with Japan okay. and see it as a place so oh, it'd be fun to try and live there. Okay, so in your piece, actually, you refer to them as agents of change. So what do you mean by that? Well, a lot of Japanese companies now want to be getting into the digital era and be updating what they're doing, doing more innovation. And they see hiring people from outside Japan as a way to accomplish that goal. Okay, you also say that while this idea sounds great coming from a top executive like Kojima, Anyone who comes over may find resistance in other areas of the company. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Oh, certainly. So while the people at the top of the company or in HR might have this great kind of idea and concept of we're going to bring people in and they're going to spark innovation. Well, the sparking of innovation often comes from different cultures colliding, and that's not always a lot of fun for everybody. <laughs> and also the middle management or the, the, the people who are going to be working directly with these new hires, they didn't necessarily ask for anyone to come in and shake up their world, yeah. and they might be resistant to that. Okay. Why wouldn't they want to change in line with the ideas that are coming from above? Um, because they're not 
necessarily um, getting a clear goal from above of here's what you need to change. Right. And there's a lot of nervousness if we do things differently than we've done it before, things might not go well, I might get blamed, I might get in trouble, there might be a problem. There's a lot of nervousness about that. So it can't just be a kind of like, you know, blanket kind of goal that's, or a vague goal that someone wants to kind of push on the rest of the company. They kind of, it's up to the top execs to kind of explain this a little bit more to the other people in the company. Yes, that's true. Unfortunately, I I don't see them doing that very often. It often remains at that more vague kind of level. Okay. So knowing this in advance, is there anything a prospective agent of change can hammer out in the interview process to try to ensure that they'll be able to do their job when they get here without interference? Um, not to be really honest, not really. (laughs) Um, you know, first of all, are you even interviewing with the actual people that you're going to be working with? A lot of times in Japanese companies, you're not, you're only talking with someone in HR. Also in the interview process, and this is true anywhere, people want to make it sound good. And it's hard to get into the details of how exactly am I going to do my work? Okay. So what should those people do then? Well, just like if you were working for a Western company, you have to understand your corporate culture and you have to understand the way things are done in that firm. And in Japanese companies, that can be a little bit more complicated because their corporate cultures are going to probably be more different than what you're used to. Um, but you want to understand, you know, how does the company get things done? How do you make a proposal? How do you get buy-in for that proposal? How do you get that proposal adopted? Um, What is it that the company is trying to do? And how can you connect what you're doing to that overall initiative? And how do you sort of create relationships with the right people in order to push things forward? Okay, so you kind of explain in the article, okay, so that's the process for making a proposal. Uh, learning what themes the company is pursuing, and then kind of knowing who to speak to. And I think you use the term nemawashi in your piece. Can you explain what that means? Certainly. So nemawashi is a really interesting term in Japanese business. It's originally from the world of gardening. Oh. And ne is root, and mawashi means go around. And it's a technique that's used when transplanting trees. If you just take a tree and just dig it up all at once and you know, dump it in another place in the garden, it's often going to go into shock and die. Right. So Japanese gardeners came up with a technique for working around the roots and um, sort of clipping them carefully and binding them and getting the tree ready to be moved and doing it over a period of time so it's not so much of a shock. Huh. And so in Japanese business... They started to use the term for people who would go and talk to each key decision maker one-on-one and get them on board. Right, right. So it's like you're going around to the roots of the tree, getting the tree ready. You're getting the organization ready. All right. So nemawashi is a key skill for any agents of change to have if they want to make an impact. Yes, exactly. And again, it's going to take a little while to do that, but it's absolutely not impossible And once you figure out the way to get things done in your organization, you can be very effective and you can make things happen. Um, You'll need to also be building up some goodwill and a track record that people aren't going to automatically trust you or take your word for things. They need to get to know you and you have to build up your credibility. And that's by doing good work and also building relationships with people. 
Rochelle, as I mentioned before, you've written a lot of other pieces for the Japan Times on corporate culture in Japan. Some of the ones I can remember off the top of my head were how to deal with superiors as a non-Japanese woman in a Japanese company. There is one on how to get a raise and another one on how to deal with a micromanaging boss. And then during the pandemic, you wrote a few pieces on how corporate culture thinking was being applied to how the Japanese government was dealing with the pandemic. It was a lot of good stuff and people should check them out. But I have a basic question for you. If you're starting a new job in Japan, what's the best thing you can do on your first day? Well, the usual ritual when you're joining a Japanese company, if you're not part of that fresh college graduate group that starts on April 1st, is you'll be introduced to everyone in your department and sometimes neighboring departments. And I remember when I did this, you know, we were meeting 30 plus people at once. It's kind of <laughs> overwhelming. But that's your chance to like get everyone's name down, figure out what they do. If you can, have just exchange a few words with them to kind of find out something about them that will help you remember them. But I remember when it happened to me and I'm like, oh, well, this is just a blur. And then I was really sorry later that I hadn't paid a little bit more attention. Right. So right. I would really um, try and focus on trying to understand who all the players are. Okay. So take names. Right. Okay. Or business cards. <laughs> or business cards. Yeah. Um, what is the most common challenge that non-Japanese employees ask for your help on? I think probably the biggest issue is communication. Okay. And I would say the second issue is decision-making and, and getting things done. You want to get off, and those are very closely connected to each other as well. Okay. With communication, can you just expand on that a little bit? Well, certainly. Well, Japanese communication style tends to be rather indirect, and it also tends to be rather vague. So this means that for people from a lot of other cultures, it's often very difficult to tell was that answer I just got a yes, or was it a no, or is it a maybe, or what should I do? Deciphering the messages that you're getting can, can be often challenging. Okay. You also work with a lot of Japanese companies who are going overseas. So I'm going to ask that question again, but let's switch the roles around. What is the most common challenge that Japanese businesses have in dealing with a majority non-Japanese workforce? Well, it's really the mirror image on the communication side, because for Japanese companies, when they're dealing with non-Japanese employees, they have to be a lot more clear and a lot more explicit about things than they would need to be in Japan. In Japan, there's this idea of ichiibajuoshiru, which is if someone tells you 10%, you're going to be able to figure out the other 90%. Right. And Japanese are really good at this. It's you know, reading between the lines or kukio yomu. There's lots of different words for this in Japanese. Uh -huh. And it's part of Japanese culture. But for people from a lot of other cultures, if you want us to know all 10, you have to say all 10. Right. And so for Japanese, um, so many times when they go outside Japan, they tell me, oh, well, they didn't get what I was trying to say. And then you know, often they realize, well, maybe I wasn't clear enough. Okay. And sometimes I help them, help them to realize that that's what the issue was. But um, learning to put more things into words rather than having it be an implicit assumption, that's often a big challenge for Japanese because it's not something that they need to do in Japan. So it's not a skill that they build in Japan. Mm. Also, they're usually doing it in English. So they're doing it in their second language where right. you're, you're going to be more limited in your communication ability. So it's kind of a double whammy there. Huh, interesting. Rochelle Kopp, thanks very much for coming back to Deep Dive. Okay, thank you. 
Thank you again to Rochelle for sharing her wisdom on working in Japan. Uh, we'll put links to a few of her more popular stories in the show notes. Elsewhere in the news, Johnny and Associates on Monday revealed a plan to establish a new company to manage its performers in an effort to start fresh after the talent agency was tainted by sexual abuse committed by its late founder, Johnny Kitagawa. The company, which will change its name to Smile Up, will focus on identifying the victims of alleged child sexual abuse by Kitagawa, who died in 2019, and hopes to provide them with compensation. For more details, check the links in our show notes. Production for Deep Dive is by Dave Cortez. The outgoing song, which you are listening to now, was written and produced by Oscar Boyd. And our theme song is by the Japanese musician 4L. Until next time, I'm Sean McKenna. Potsukare-sama. Potsukare-sama.